You may be seated. For our time of confession and pardon, I will be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll first be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, leading us in a prayer of confession and pronouncing the pardon and forgiveness that is found only in Jesus Christ. First Corinthians chapter one, starting at verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, you are holy, holy, holy. Father, we are amazed. We are amazed that you are so gracious, so merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Father, we thank you that you have done everything from creation to redemption, the glorious return of your son, Jesus Christ, eternal heaven for your elect, eternal damnation for those who continue in rebellion and disobedience. All that your name, your glory, your praise would be high and lifted up. Father, we want to take this time to humble ourselves before you, to confess to you those times where we forgot how weak we are when we sought to do things according to our will, our fallen passion, our fallen desires, rather than according to your perfect and holy law. Father, we want to confess to you those times where, rather than humbling ourselves before you, that we exerted our pride. Father, we want to confess to you those times where we boasted in ourself or boasted in a, another creature rather than giving you all praise, glory, and boasting. So, Father, we want to take this time to confess to you those sins of thought, word, and action over this last week. We confess these to you now in our hearts and in our minds.
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Know this, that if you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if in faith, You believe that Christ alone is your righteousness, that he has died for your sins, paying the full penalty of your sins, satisfying God's holy just wrath against you. If you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and abiding in Christ, know this, you are forgiven. You have been justified, you have been adopted, and you are dearly loved by your heavenly Father. In Christ's glorious name, amen. For our time of confession of faith, we're looking at, again, the second main point of doctrine of the Canons of Dort, Christ's death and human redemption through it. This morning, we are reading together Article 4, Reasons for this Infinite Value. Speaking of the infinite value of the blood of Christ. So I invite you to read this along with me. You'll find this in your bulletins. Article four, reasons for this infinite value. This death is of such great value and worth for the reason that the person who suffered it was necessarily to be our savior not only a true and perfect holy man, but also the only begotten Son of God, of the same eternal and infinite essence with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Another reason is that this death was accomplished by the experience of God's anger and curse, which we by our sins had fully deserved. What amazing declaration of the penal substitutionary atonement, the satisfaction of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Let us go, Lord, in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can come before you Again, we're amazed. As the author of Hebrews says that because of the work of your son, Jesus Christ on the cross, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because of your foreknowledge, placing your love on your elect from before creation, that we can boldly come before you Enter into your presence. Oh, Father, we love you because you first loved us. We fear you because you've given us new hearts and new minds. We rejoice in you because you have given us the source of true joy. You have made us right with yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we thank you. 
We thank you for your son. We thank you for this glorious redemption that you've accomplished so that we can boast in you. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us. Help us as we continue in these perishing bodies, in this fallen heaven and earth. Father, we pray that you would help us fix our eyes, our hearts, our minds on things above, not on things below. Fix our eyes, O Lord, on your Son, Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. O Father, we cry out that you would would fill our hearts and minds with your word. O Lord, we pray that you would help us to hunger and thirst for your word, for your truth. Sweeter than honey, more satisfying than anything else. For the things of this earth will pass away, but your word endures forever. Well, Father, we pray that you would help us. We are weak, but you are strong. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to live all the more according to the Holy Spirit and less and less according to our old fallen flesh. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grow us in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Father, we pray that you would grow us in the fruit of the Spirit, that you would grow us in your love. Oh, Father, we pray for our marriages. Oh, Lord, for every marriage represented here, Father, we pray that you would help us to display Ephesians chapter 5, Christ in the church. Father, we pray that husbands would die for their wives, washing them in the word. Father, we pray that wives would submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Father, we pray for the fruit of the Spirit and love within our families. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us to equip, to train, to teach our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, the truth of your word. Oh, Father, we pray that in your grace and mercy, you'd bring them from death to life, that they would know you to serve you and give you glory with their lives. Oh, Father, we pray for the lost, family members, friends, acquaintances, those whom you bring across our paths into our lives. Oh, Father, we cry out. Help us, oh Lord, help us to lift up your gospel, lift up your truth. For faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. So, Father, we pray. Oh, Lord, we take this time to lift you up to you, the names of those whom we cry out, oh, Lord, that you'd bring from death to life. We lift their names up to you now in our hearts and minds. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are so gracious and merciful that you will do what only you can do. Bring someone from death to life. So, Father, we pray that you would continue to work. Use us for your glory and your purpose. 
Oh, Father, we pray for the church. We pray that you would help us to be of one heart and one mind, striving side by side for the one gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, crucified. Father, we pray that you would help us to be united in the truth, one heart, one mind. For there is one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grow us in your glorious truth. Father, we pray that you would be with those who are in positions of power and authority throughout the world. Father, we pray for our president and his administration. Pray for our governor, local county leaders, commissioners. Oh, Father, we pray that their eyes would be open to know your truth. We pray that there would be peace that truth would be lifted up. Oh, Father, we look to you. Oh, Father, as Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage? Father, we pray that in the midst of the conflicts throughout the world, we pray in particular for the Ukraine. Father, we pray that in the midst of this time of war, we pray for peace. We pray for the church there, O Lord our brothers and sisters in Christ in the midst of warfare as refugees fleeing. Father, we pray that your gospel would continue to spread and you would comfort and be with your children there. Father, we just pray that you would continue to direct our hearts and minds to you. Father, we do continue to pray for those who are in a time of difficulty or struggle, a time of illness. Father, we continue to lift up to you grace who is in hospice. Father, we thank you that you continue to strengthen her and grow her in the faith. Father, we just pray that you continue to be her strength, her hope, and her peace in this time. Father, we continue to lift up Didi and Andy in the midst of Didi's ongoing cancer treatments. Oh, Father, we pray that their eyes would be directed to your son, Jesus Christ, that you would be their strength and hope through this time. And Father, we pray that you would just give us wisdom and understanding. Help us, O oh Lord, each and every day. Our old flesh wages war against us. The world continues to hate us. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Father, we pray that you would help us to stand firm in the faith. Fix our eyes, O oh Lord, on your son, Jesus Christ. It is because of your glorious promise that you hold us in your righteous right hand that we can say the prayer that our Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to please rise and read with me our passage of scripture we're looking at this morning. We're going through this final statements of Isaiah. 
And this morning we're looking at verses 7 through 14 of Isaiah 66. I invite you to read with me. Isaiah 66, starting at verse 7. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says the Lord? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon the hip and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants." And he shall show his indignation against his enemies. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Inerrant and infallible, all authoritative and all sufficient. Oh, Father, we are absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit for wisdom and discernment. We pray that you would lead us and guide us and grow us in the truth. For to know the truth is to be set free. In Christ's glorious name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I'd like to invite, if there are any children who would like to come up to the front rows, for the message at this time. Excellent. Good morning. Well, I have a question for you. If you ever say you're running, and you fall and skin your knee, or you're doing something and you hurt your hand, or you, you how does your mother, father, how do they comfort you? What's something they do to comfort you? How do they comfort you? Do they bandage up the wound? Yeah, that's something. They'll bandage up the wound. Do they give you a kiss? Yeah, yeah, I always like that. When I fall and skin my knee, my grandma would 
scrub the wound, get all the gravel under it. She'd scrub it, and then she'd pour some elixir on it, and it would burn. I thought it was going to And then she'd clean it off and bandage it. And what's the last thing she'd do? She'd kiss me on the forehead and say, it'll be all right. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, so that's a wonderful comfort. We have this imagery here in, this, in our scripture passage today. I want you to be listening carefully. It's where God says he's going to comfort his people, those whom he's going to save through Jesus Christ dying on the cross for the sins of all those who trust and believe in him. And it describes God as the most loving, compassionate, one who would take a hold of, bounce on the knee, hold close. It's the most tender, beautiful image, one of them in Scripture. And that's the love of our Heavenly Father for all those who trust and believe in Jesus Christ. That no matter what pain or sorrow or difficulty we face, in Christ we have that kind of love. So as we're going through this passage, I want you to think of all the ways that people comfort you and think of how perfect our Heavenly Father is in comforting us in Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you so loved your children that you sent your Son. Father, we thank you for the promise that all who trust and believe in you, that when your Son returns, that you will wipe every tear from our eyes and that you will so comfort us that we will only know peace and joy. In Christ's glorious name, amen. Amen. You guys can back to your seats. So we're in Isaiah 66, starting at verse 7, and this is one of the most dominant themes woven through Isaiah. And this is one of the reasons why Isaiah is considered by many theologians and commentators to be the fifth gospel. Because one of the most dominant themes in Isaiah is this. We are weak, yet God is strong. We can do nothing to save ourselves. And it's all the work of God. And he does it all for his glory to display his love, to lift up his name in the most glorious way. So we see this theme throughout Scripture. So here again, we find ourselves with the the metaphor, the imagery of a mother. And God does what no husband and wife can do, what no father and mother can do. God births children for his glory and his purpose through adopting them through the work of Jesus Christ. So again, we see this theme in our passage this morning. So Isaiah 66, verse 7. Before she was in labor, 
she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Verse 8, who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. So we have this amazing depiction here. And again, as I said, this is woven throughout Isaiah and woven throughout the scriptures. If you go back to Isaiah 49, you see where this theme is introduced and presented in a powerful way. Because now that we're in the last chapter of Isaiah, all these themes are being brought to their fulfillment and their conclusion. (coughs) So Isaiah 49, starting at verse 20. The children of your bereavement will yet say to your ears, the place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say to in your heart, who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away. But who has brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come from? So what you have in Isaiah 49 is this depiction of Israel acknowledging that it had rebelled It had fallen short of God's glory. They had transgressed all the law of God. And this is depicting Israel in a state after Babylon has come and destroyed the cities of Judea, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the walls of the city, destroyed the temple, massacred the vast majority of the people, and taken a remnant into Babylonian captivity. That's verse 21 of Isaiah 49. Then you will say in your heart, who has borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away. Ultimately, what this is depicting is the realization that though God had chosen Abraham and Sarah and made a nation from them, that nation did not live up to his glory. They fell short. They could not produce perfect righteousness. They couldn't. So they could not, within their own power and ability, produce the offspring of God. And that, again, is what we see is this glorious depiction of Isaiah 66. Here it isn't that she's barren and bereaved and exiled and put away because of her sin. But in Isaiah 66, verses 7 and 8, before she's even in labor, she's given birth. And what that's depicting is it is God who brings the new birth. It is God who brings about the spiritual offspring. We cannot, we would not. That's the glorious depiction of God's sovereign grace, sovereign election, and mercy on his people. You see this again, Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54 has this rejoicing and and singing of praise because God has done what we could not do. 
Isaiah 54, verse 1, Sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. There it is, that same thing. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Now, you know what's so powerful about that statement of sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. Not only is that directly tied to our passage in Isaiah 66, but Isaiah 54 is preceded by chapter... 53. Very good. So what causes this singing? This ultimate declaration that I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I could do nothing to save myself. I am absolutely dependent on a sovereign act of grace and mercy and atonement by God himself that produces this rejoicing and singing. Well, it's Isaiah 53. So let's go back to Isaiah 53. This is what Isaiah 66, 7 through 14 is all about. It's reminding how it is that God brings about the birth of his children. So again, Isaiah 53, starting at verse 3. Isaiah 53, verse 3, is depicting Jesus Christ, the servant, the perfect servant of God, the one who was always faithful, though God's people were unfaithful. Here is the always faithful Israel, the always faithful, eternally begotten Son of God. Isaiah 53, verse 3, he, speaking of Jesus the Christ, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse four, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. There it is. That is how God brings about his spiritual offspring. The descendants of Abraham, according to the promise. The people of God, not only the elect of the Jews, but of every tribe, nation, language, and people. That's how it happens. The birth, the labor, is Jesus Christ crucified. Paying the full penalty of the sins of those who trust and believe in him. Satisfying God's holy just wrath that they deserve. God 
places his wrath and the debt of the sins of the elect on Christ on the cross as he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Christ dies and he's raised to new life. And it's because he leaves the tomb, the grave is empty because he is the first fruits All those who have faith in him and believe in him, we are born again. We are brought from death to life, condemnation to justification, and we are adopted by our heavenly father. That is how God brings about the birth. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within the elect, giving them the gifts of repentance and faith so that we can do what Isaiah 54 verse 1 says. Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth in the singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. That's why I picked the two songs we're singing this morning. What's the first song we sang? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we end this service with not what my hands have done. That's that's the gospel. That's what Isaiah 66, that's what Isaiah 49, that's what Isaiah 53 and 54 are all reminding us of. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins, yet God so loved us that Jesus brings about offspring through his death on the cross. That is the fulfillment of Israel, the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption, and the purpose of all of creation is that he would get all praise, glory, and honor because he made children according to his purpose and plan. And he made a bride for his son, Jesus Christ. And he made a church to give him praise, glory, and honor and sing his praises forever and ever and ever. So again, Isaiah 66, verse eight, who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. You know the moment that Isaiah 66 is speaking of here in verse 8? The moment of the establishing and accomplishing redemption for all the offspring of Abraham according to the faith, all the offspring of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's on the cross when Jesus Christ says, it is finished. That's the moment. That's the moment. That's it. It is finished. It is accomplished. This glorious plan and purpose in a moment when Christ is forsaken, on the cross. When he has the full wrath of God, he's drinking the cup of the full wrath of God 
down to the dregs. He's paying the full penalty. He is forsaken and it is finished. That's the moment. You have this glorious promise in verse nine. This is a statement of assurance. Verses seven and eight are a declaration of God's sovereign election and irresistible grace, how he calls his children who are written in the Lamb's book of life from before the creation of the world, how he calls them through the gospel and saves them and makes them his through his sovereign plan and purpose. Verse 9 is a beautiful statement of the doctrine of assurance, assurance for those who are in Christ. Verse 9 Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb? You have this beautiful promise spoken by Paul to the church in Philippi that is directly tied to this passage here. If you look at Philippians chapter one, verse six, this is how Paul summarizes this statement in verse nine. Philippians one, verse six. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will do it. He will do it. That's why it says in scripture That when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you, this is the eternal spirit who is bringing you eternal life. Not conditional, not temporary, not possible, but eternal life. That's what's declared concerning the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that's what Paul says to the church in Philippi, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Peter speaks of the same glorious promise of God, of the assurance God's people has concerning his work. And it's 1 Peter chapter 5. Another beautiful declaration of this promise of God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. If God has justified you in his son, Jesus Christ, if while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, how much more that now we are in Christ and the spirit is in us, will he hold us and keep us to the end? Again, Peter makes a beautiful declaration of this assurance. That if God has brought you from death to life, he will continue to grow you and sanctify you until you're glorified in the son, Jesus Christ. He will do this. Again, if you go earlier in Peter, it's 1 Peter chapter 1. 
And again, we understand how Peter is doing this. Peter speaks of the church as the new Israel. He gives that, that term. And here we see where Peter is using this language of God's people being exiled, refugees throughout the world. We're pilgrims and sojourners. This is not our home. We're exiles. Yet we have this promise of God preserving us, this assurance of his sovereign work in our lives. And it's 1 Peter chapter 1. Starting at verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. It's one of the most glorious depictions of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit bringing about the birth of spiritual children for his glory. May the grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse 3 of 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. There it is. That's the promise. That the desolate one, the bereaved one, the barren one will produce more offspring than the one who is married. How can this be? Because God causes the birth. He brings it about. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Well, there we have the great glorious depiction that how we are justified is that Christ dies for our sins, that he satisfies God's wrath, that he's raised because he was perfect and holy without sin. And we have where God causes us to be born again, giving us new wills, bringing us from death to life, that we can know the love of God. So we have God sovereignly justifying us. Are we then on our own? Do we then from then on just, oh, I hope I make it. I. I wouldn't make it one day if that was what it is. Not only do you have verse 3, you have verse 5. This is how much Peter, by the Holy Spirit inspiring, understands the glorious promises of God in Isaiah 66. So not only has God caused us, here's verse 5 of 1 Peter 1, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Guarded through the faith. You know how secure the guarding of God is for his people? You know, for the last, the last two weeks, much of the media and what we've been seeing in news that has been consumed with whether a border will hold. Whether, there, whether these certain boundaries will hold from one nation invading another nation, 
and this nation claim this is nation. It's all about will this hold and who will guard and who will protect and that. I mean, this has been much of the news because of what's been going on. Well, there is a border that is the most vital for each and every child of God. And it's God guarding us, protecting us, holding us in the palm of his righteous right hand every moment. And how does God do such guarding? Well, first of all, we have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His blood has made us whiter than snow. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We are abiding in Christ. His Spirit is abiding in us. We have Christ interceding on our behalf at the right hand of God. We have the Holy Spirit groaning within us. So you see how God is guarding, guarding his children, holding us in his hand, disciplining us, refining us, growing us in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. But if Christ is for us, if God is for us, nothing can be against us. That's that guarding, that perfect assurance. Again, Isaiah 66, verse 9, Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? Shall I who caused to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? No. Those whom he has justified, he will sanctify. Those whom he has sanctified, he will glorify. Because he is good and his promises are perfect. And he is sovereign, all powerful, all knowing to accomplish these things for his children. So such glorious reality of verses seven and eight and nine. What's going to come next in Isaiah? Rejoice, sing, give praise. That's that's what happens in Isaiah. Isaiah declares how hopeless, weak we are, how strong and glorious God is, and what does it produce? Praise. Singing, rejoicing. So, of course, that's what we find here in verse 10. Rejoice with Jerusalem. Now, the Jerusalem he's talking about here is Galatians 3. If if you go through Galatians 3, it's the heavenly Jerusalem. This is the ultimate fulfillment of this. Yes, they are taken to Babylonian captivity. And yes, after 70 years, there will be a remnant allowed to come back and rebuild the walls, rebuild things, rebuild the temple. Yes, that happens with Ezra and Nehemiah. But what happens eventually again? That the temple's destroyed. The temple described here ultimately as the fulfillment of is the church, the people of God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Jerusalem being spoken of here is ultimately the heavenly Jerusalem. Galatians chapter 4 is one of the best depictions where Paul explains that, that reality. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her. Verse 11, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious 
abundance. Again, in verse 12 and 13, you have this nursing motif. Verse 12, for thus shall the Lord behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And now you have one of the most beautiful depictions in scripture of the most loving mother nursing, holding, holding on the hip, bouncing on the knee. I mean, this is the most beautiful imagery of the most tender love and care depicted. And you have this depicted concerning God's love for his children. Again, verse 12, and you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon the hip and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Again, this is ultimate, this depiction of the new Jerusalem, the return of Jesus Christ and the new Jerusalem coming down to the new heaven, new earth, where all God's people dwell forever. Every tear is wiped away, every pain and sorrow, no more death, no more sin, no more suffering forever and ever and ever. That's our comfort. That's where true peace is found. So we have to be on our guard. Because daily, our old flesh wages war against us and tries to offer counterfeit comforts, false comforts. We're inundated by a fallen rule that tries to put forth false comforts, false sources of happiness, lies and deceptions. We have a devil that continues to prowl around like a roaring lion. So we have this constant onslaught of false comfort. And what Isaiah 66 does is (laughs) there's only one heavenly father. There's only one Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one Holy Spirit who comes and makes you alive. There is one God and there is one people and there's only one source of peace. That I was dead and Christ has made me alive. I was under sin and condemnation and now I am justified and loved by my heavenly father. I had no hope and now I have eternal hope. I had no peace and now I have eternal peace. That's the comfort. That's true eternal comfort. And that's what's being depicted here in Isaiah 66. Again, you have this beautiful depiction of this comfort throughout Scripture. Again, in Peter, toward the end of 1 Peter chapter 1, we see where Peter is again drawing on the same imagery 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, speaking to those who are in Christ, since you have been born again, there's the birth that Isaiah 66 is speaking of, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 54, that's the birth. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord 
remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So with that understanding, that reality, what is the nursing imagery that is in Isaiah 66? Well, Peter takes that and applies it to the church in in 1 Peter chapter 2. So after that declaration of 1 Peter 1, now 1 Peter chapter 2, you have this statement in verses 2 and 3. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed, here's the examine yourself, exhortation here, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's it. Again, how is Peter applying this beautiful imagery and truths of Isaiah 66 to us? It's 1 Peter 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So what Peter is saying is what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah 66 The comfort, the source of peace, the source of joy is to continue to nurse. And what Peter does is depict that as to continue to abide in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and to feed on God's promises, to feed on his word, the living and active word, that that alone satisfies That alone brings peace and comfort and hope is the word of God, his promises, his glory, his attributes, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that alone satisfies. Again, the world offers false comforts, deceptions, and lies, where the world says, if you do this, if you think this, if you live this way, you'll be satisfied. But the beautiful work of our ongoing sanctification is more and more these these deceptions and lies, these false things that actually are poison. That more and more when, when we take and drink of them and take and eat of them, God in his grace and mercy makes them more and more revolting to us. We, 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 we spit it out because we, we want to drink more of the word. We want to hear more of the word. We, we want to feast and drink of the truth of Jesus Christ crucified and the glory of God. And that alone satisfies. That's what we nurse and we nurse in that most intimate and close imagery we have of abiding of Christ in these verses. We see that this produces joy like no other. Again, Isaiah 66, verse 13, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Again, this is ultimately fulfilled in the 
the new heaven, new earth, Revelation 21, the comforting of our heavenly father at the glorious return of Jesus Christ. But we have that continued comforting now in our sanctification, the ongoing guarding in the faith and work of Christ. So verse 14, you shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, slaves, his servants, those who serve him, those who are enslaved to him, those who are indebted because Christ has bought them. The only source of freedom is being a slave of Christ. That's the great glorious depiction of Scripture. The more we are in obedience in our slavery to Christ, the freer we are. The more we submit our wills and our our thoughts, our words, our actions, our passions and desires to Christ and his word, the more joy we have. That's the great glorious truth of being a servant of God, a slave of Christ. Again, verse 14, you shall see and your heart shall rejoice, your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and he shall show indignation against his enemies. Again, that last part of verse 14 shows us that that's the two sides, that's both part of what it is to be saved in Christ. It not only means that you have been made right with God, but also God will defeat and destroy all your enemies and all his enemies. And that's what's still laid out there at the end of verse 14. The direct parallel to that last verse of 14 is Malachi 3. I invite you to turn to Malachi 3. Because here at the end of the Old Testament, we have this reminder of this verse, of verse 14. And this is a reminder that ultimately, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way someone can be a child of God to have that comfort and that peace is to be in Jesus Christ. So Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I will make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Ultimately, Isaiah 66 lays out the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ. Trust in his sacrifice on the cross. 
Put all your hope in his resurrection and his glorious return. Seek to love, obey, serve Christ out of gratitude and thanksgiving, for he has done it all. And in that is eternal life, eternal joy, eternal peace. Do not believe in the Son. Do not put your faith and hope in Christ. Put faith and hope and comfort at all in your own righteousness or in your works at all. And you have nothing but eternal condemnation and wrath. But in Christ is a peace that passes understanding, a hope beyond comprehension, a joy that is abiding. So again, it's my hope and prayer that we will continue as as we continue to grow up into Christ, that God would ever increase our hunger and thirst to nurse at his word, at his promises, that Christ would all the more fill our thoughts, words, and actions. That in the midst of suffering, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of pain, that Christ alone satisfies, that his word alone satisfies, and that he is the source of our joy and our boasting. That's what it means to be a loved, adopted child of God. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank you. Your grace is amazing. Your mercy beyond comprehension. Father, we thank you that while we were yet dead in our trespasses and sins, that you caused us to be born again and that you continue to guard us, guide us, and grow us in the faith. Father, we pray that your comfort alone would satisfy. We pray that in you would be all our rejoicing and our boasting. And Father, we pray that you would conform our will all the more in obedience to you out of thanksgiving and gratitude. For Jesus Christ has accomplished it all. In Christ's glorious name, amen. I invite you to please rise and sing with me number 435, Not What My Hands Have. Thank you.
I love because he loveth me. I live because he lives. Let us receive the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I invite you to close with me with the doxology. God from all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Just remember, it doesn't die.